Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to all of you over in the venue. If you're visiting with us, we're glad that you are, um, are with us. Um, I was here yesterday for the men's rally, and um, it was quite a deal. I've, I've, I've been to a lot of things literally all over the United States, and we've had a lot of great conferences here. And I can tell you, yesterday was just crazy in here with all those guys. I mean, it was unbelievably cool, and I'm thankful for our men's ministry team for putting that together. Hey, before I get into this, we have a, a great ministry here at Big Valley Grace, and uh, it's our Christian school. And I want you to watch this video here for just a moment. At Big Valley Christian School, our mission is to nurture and equip students to impact the world for Christ. Each day, over 800 students, 116 faculty members, countless moms, dads, grandparents, and beyond, partner together in this mission, each and every one playing a crucial role as our children are molded and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. Since 2009, the people of Big Valley Grace Community Church have partnered in this mission as well by generously giving over $1.9 million to the Tuition Assistance Fund. Through this fund, we have been able to financially assist over 1,000 students with tuition costs, giving them and their families a chance to experience the ministry of Big Valley Christian School. That's 1,000 more students being nurtured, guided, loved. That's 1,000 more students striving, squirming, hoping, worshiping. That's 1,000 more students impacting the world for Jesus Christ. Will you partner with us today? You know, we were uh, talking about the generosity of the, the family here, and, and there's no doubt about it that there just can't be a greater group of Christ followers that are as generous as, as all of you. And we're asking you to be generous one more time. We have a family that's given us a $100,000 matching gift. So every dollar you bring in next week or the week after is matched by this family. And all we're asking you to do is go home and if you're an individual, just pray about it. Married, sit down with your spouse and, and, and just kind of pray about it. If you've got a whole family, include all of them and how you might be able to uh, partner with us to maybe help some, some families that, that can't afford to get into our school. I personally, my family has been blessed by the school. My oldest daughter graduated from the school. Uh, I have a senior who will graduate this year and I have a freshman 
and all of them have been blessed by the ministry of our school, and we want to try to get as many kids in there as we can. So um, take this home, pray about it, and bring your gift back next, next week, okay? All right, so take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John. And I want you to turn to John chapter 20, real, real quick. John chapter 20. If you're visiting with us, we began a series uh, here at Big Valley Grace last weekend when we're going through the Gospel of John. And in, gospel, uh, in chapter 20, there's a, 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 a really great verse that kind of unlocks the whole, the whole book, if you will, the whole letter. He says in verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That, that, that's why God, God had John write his gospel. The Gospel of John doesn't record all of the miracles that, that Jesus did. It doesn't record all of the sermons that Jesus preached. But John says, here's why I have recorded what I've recorded. I want you to believe in Jesus. I want you to understand who he is. I want you to understand that through a relationship with him, you could experience eternal life. That's why we have the Gospel of John. And then last week, we saw right out of the gate, the leadoff hitter, if you will, John comes out and says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then in verse 14 he says, and the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us. Chapter one, the, the, the nugget of chapter one is that Jesus is God. Amen. Jesus is God. He wants you to understand that truth above all else right out of the gate. Now, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay, at least for today. Afterwards, you go into the altar room, we'll give you a Bible if you don't own one. If you don't have a Bible, we wanna give you, we wanna give you one. But if you don't have a Bible today, all the verses I think are inside the program, they'll come up on the jumbotrons. But you need to have the Word of God whenever you, you come to church. And we're going to just continue in our study. Now, this past week, I asked this question on my Facebook page and in some other social media places. And I received well over 100 responses. And the question I asked was this, in your opinion, other than Jesus, who was the greatest character in the Bible? And here are some of the answers that I received. A whole bunch of people said Adam and Eve, right? And then some people would give an explanation. You know, without Adam and Eve, I guess you don't have any characters whatsoever, right? Uh, some said Noah. Some said Abraham. Others said Moses, King David, Joseph, Elijah, Mary, Peter, Paul, and and others, and without a doubt, these are all great people. In fact, you know, we're gonna see them someday in heaven. Those are all fantastic people. And there were others that were, were mentioned. But I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter seven. 
Jesus weighed in on my question. He said, I say to you, among those born of woman, there is no one greater than John. And he's talking about John the Baptist. He's not talking about John, the, the person who wrote this gospel that we're looking at. Okay, John wrote the gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He wrote Revelation. That's not who he's talking about here. Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And that's a super interesting verse, isn't it? That Jesus himself weighs in on the question of who was the greatest character in the Bible, at least up until the point that this was written. According to Jesus, the greatest person to ever live up to that moment was John the Baptist. That means he was greater than Abraham, the father of our faith. Think about that. That means he was greater than Deborah, one of the great rulers of Israel during the time of, of Judges. Think about that. That means he was greater than Noah. That means he was greater than King David, who many of us look to as the shining example of faith, right, in the Old Testament. That means he was greater than Elijah, who was without a doubt the greatest prophet in Israel. That means he was greater than Moses, who was Israel's greatest leader. Think about it. According to Jesus, the greatest person, greatest character found in the Bible was John the Baptist. So it makes sense that we ought to learn a little bit about John the Baptist, right? I mean, we ought to learn what made him so great. And if we could learn a little bit about what made him so great, then we ought to apply it to our lives, right? Because if Jesus says he was the greatest person to ever live, man, it just behooves us to say, man, I wanna learn about this guy. Oh, I wanna know what made him so great and then I wanna apply it to my life because then maybe we might be as great as John the Baptist. So let's read our text, okay? Look at John chapter one, and I'm gonna start reading at verse six, okay? God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light. That's Jesus, Jesus is the light. So that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John, John the Baptist himself, was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light, to tell people about Jesus. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was, was coming into the world. Now I want you to drop down to verse 19, okay? This was John's testimony. This was John the Baptist's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I'm not the Messiah. Well then, who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, 
I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent to ask, asked him, if you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? And John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you don't even recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. This encounter took place in Bethany in an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I'm gonna stop right there. We're gonna look at more about John in the weeks to come, but there's a lot packed into these verses, okay? A whole lot, and your homework assignment is to go home and, and reread this again, and then spend some time studying this, meditating on it, because there's a whole lot here. I'm gonna give you three major thoughts. These are thoughts on how you can live a great life like John the Baptist, okay? Just three thoughts. And the first one is this. John knew who he was. He knew that God had chosen him for a purpose. The first thing we learn about John the Baptist is that he was sent by God and he knew this. Look at verse six. God sent a man, John the Baptist. John knew that God had sent him. John knew that God had chosen for a purpose. He knew that. Now the name John was a common name back then, kind of like it is now, but John was anything but a common person. In fact, without a doubt, he was one of the most unique individuals that ever lived. I'm sure there were many people who thought to themselves, how can this guy be sent by God. There's no way that this guy has been sent by God. I mean, he didn't fit the mold of anybody of the day. He wasn't like the priest. He wasn't like the Pharisees. He wasn't like the Sadducees. He wasn't like the scribes or any of the religious people of the day. He didn't look like a prophet. He didn't talk like a priest. He wore camel skin and ate locusts and, and honey. He was one weird man, but he was sent by God, and he knew it. Many, one of the many things you learn when you study the life of John the Baptist is to never judge a book by its cover, right? Just because somebody is dressed weird, or they eat weird stuff, or they may live in a weird place or whatever, doesn't mean that God isn't using them for his purposes. 1 Samuel chapter 16 records the, the moment when God selected David to be the king of Israel. Let me remind you what the word of God says. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. Saul was the king. I have rejected him as the king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of 
his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, replied Samuel. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice also. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eleb and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, one of the things I think we have to be careful of, I know I do, is that it's really easy for me to uh, just look at how someone's dressed, how they're groomed, uh, how they talk, and, and make judgments about that. It's really easy for me to do that. Maybe it is for you, I, I don't know. All I know is that we need to be very careful when we look at people, you know, how they dress and what they eat and where they live or whatever, to not make judgments about how God sees them. And John the Baptist is a great example of this. As I said, there, there isn't anybody in town who would have said that guy was sent by God. If John the Baptist were to walk in here right now and walk up to the front, our security detail would be all over him like a cheap suit. <laughs> Right, they take him down, they taser him right here and drag him out, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. And yet, he was a man who was sent by God. God knew what he looked like. God knew how he dressed. God, God, God knew he was just kind of this wild guy. God knew exactly what he was doing. Now, I want to unpack something very important for you, okay? This is something you really need to, to grab a hold of. If you're a believer, you, just like John the Baptist, have been sent by God. The Bible tells us that every believer is an ambassador for Christ, sent by God into this world. You need to know this truth, and you need to believe this truth, and I want to unpack this for you, okay? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, even before he made the world, even before God made the world, you got to follow this, okay? God loved us, and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. Before there ever was a planet, Earth, 
Before you were ever a twinkle in your mom and dad's eyes, God knew you. And not only did he know you, but he chose you. He chose you before there was ever a planet, before you were ever born. He, he, he was going to draw you to himself, and, and, and you were going to give your life to his son, Jesus Christ. You were going to be adopted into his family before the foundations of the world. Now, that ought to make you scratch your head a little, right? But that's what the Bible says. I, I didn't write that. God is giving us a really great piece of data here. That long before there was ever a planet Earth, long before you were ever born, God chose you to be a part of his family. But the Bible says this in Romans chapter 3. Okay, now you got to have your thinking caps on here. He says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There, there's no one who understands. There's nobody who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. And beloved, this is a critical biblical concept that nobody seeks after God. Nobody. Why? Because sin makes it impossible for you to seek after God. Mankind is in total bondage to sin, and because of this, mankind is, is incapable of grasping the concept of God. Your sin won't allow you to seek after God. Jesus said this in John chapter 4, no one, no one, absolutely no one can come to me. Nobody can give their life to Christ. Nobody can believe in him. Nobody can surrender their life over to him unless the Father intercedes. Unless the Father who sent me draws him. You see, sin is so powerful it won't let you seek after God. But obviously God is more powerful than sin. And so we know that God chose you before the foundations of the world. We understand what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Sin enters into the equation. And now it's impossible for us to seek God. But you were chosen. You were chosen before the foundations of the world to be a part of his family. So there came this moment when God intercedes and he begins to draw you to himself. It's him. Your sin won't allow you to come to God. It has to be a work of the, of the Father. It has to be him. Matthew chapter 26, or, 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 or Luke chapter 19 says, says this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. We were lost. Our sin had, had blinded us. We were lost. 
Our sin wouldn't allow us to find our way home on our own. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, today I think I'm going to go find God. Nobody does that. Your sin won't allow it. But remember, God chose you. And he sent his son here to seek and to save those of us that were lost. God, 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 God did it. Matthew Chapter 16 says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Who who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then Jesus asked them, well, what about you? What do you say about me? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. Why? Why are you blessed? Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Once again, here's this idea that the only reason why Peter knew that Jesus was the Messiah was because the Father drew him to himself. The Father revealed this to him. Because sin wouldn't allow Peter to have understood that. The only way any of us come to faith in Jesus is simply because God chose us. And then he draws us to himself. Okay, So what's my point in all of this? I want you to understand who you are. That you, like John the Baptist, were chosen by God for a purpose. You're, you're, You're no different. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that would remain. Obviously, Jesus is talking to his disciples there. And and next week, Lord willing, we're going to see Jesus in John chapter 1, him selecting his disciples. But the principle holds true for all of us. We didn't choose him. (laughs) Sin wouldn't allow us to make that choice. But God chose us before the foundations of the world. And then he began to draw us to himself and It says, hey, hey, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And and not only did I choose you, but I chose you for a purpose. I appointed that you would go bear fruit, that your life would matter, and not just any kind of fruit, but fruit that would remain. God's the one who chose you, and he chose you for a a, a purpose. And, And John the Baptist understood this. It's one of the things that made him great as he understood the fact that God had chosen him, that God had sent him, that God had sent him for a purpose. He knew it and he believed it. And unfortunately today, there are so many of my Christian brothers and sisters who, I don't know, They read this and they know it's truth and they have an understanding of it, but they really don't believe it. They don't really believe that God has a real purpose for their life. 
Here's the bottom line. Everybody look at, at verse 19. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leader, leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? See those three words? Who are you? That's a great question. That's a great question that every believer needs to be able to answer. I could say, well, you know, I'm a countryman, but you know what, that, 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 that's, that, that's missing the point. Who are you? And the answer for those of us that have given our lives over to Jesus is this. I was chosen by God to be a part of his family and he has a purpose for my life. Amen. Let me tell you something. You want to be great like John the Baptist, you, you got to be able to answer the question, who am I? Let me tell you who I am. God chose me to be a part of his family. He drew me to himself. He opened my eyes to the truth. And he has a purpose for my life. But you have to take it to another place. You have to take the next step. This is the second thing that John knew about his life. John knew exactly what his purpose was. That was he was a, a voice for God. It's one thing to know that I was chosen by God. It's a, one thing to know that God has a purpose for my life. It's, it's one thing to even believe it. But you gotta know what that purpose is. L look at verse six again. God sent a man, John the Baptist. He sent him to do what? To tell about the light. To talk about the light to talk about Jesus so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself wasn't the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. Beloved, if you wanna live a great life like John the Baptist, it begins with understanding that God chose you, but then you have to understand what God's mission or purpose is for your life, and that's your call to point people to Jesus. In other words, when God chose you before the foundations of the world, he didn't choose you that you would go out and live some sort of carnal life where you would live some you know, life that just makes no impact for the kingdom's sake. That's not why he chose you. He chose you for a purpose. And part of that purpose is the same purpose that John the Baptist had, was, and that was to point people to Jesus, to be a voice for, for the Lord. Look at verse 19 again. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, hey, who are you? And he came right out and said, well, I want you to know I'm not the Messiah. Well, then who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? No. He replied, are you the prophet we're expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And this is really great. John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice. Verse 21, who are you? John says, I'm a voice. I'm a voice. 
That's pretty simple, isn't it? I hope you're getting this, Christian. You know, we're all called to, 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 to be a voice for the Lord. A voice that's willing to risk it all to point people to Jesus. A voice that's willing to be ridiculed and, and persecuted and, and thought to be crazy, just like John the Baptist was. In my opinion, I think we need more crazy people. Once you know that. I think sometimes the church in America has become way too sophisticated. People thought Noah was crazy when he built the ark, right? People thought Abraham was crazy when he was willing to sacrifice his son, right? People thought Joseph was crazy when he shared his dreams. People thought Moses was crazy when he stepped into the Red Sea, right? People thought Joshua was crazy when he announced the battle plans for Jericho, right? People thought Gideon was crazy when his army got reduced to 30. People thought David was crazy when he stepped out to meet Goliath. People thought Elijah was crazy when he faced the, the 400 plus prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. People thought Nehemiah was crazy when he had a dream to build something incredible for the kingdom. People thought that the woman who poured out perfume on Jesus' feet was crazy. People thought the apostles were crazy in Acts chapter two when the Holy Spirit showed up. People thought that Paul was crazy for planting churches and taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Beloved, a lot of people thought these folks were crazy or even insane, but all of them, every one of them was used by God to do great things for him because they understood that God had chosen them for a purpose. And it didn't matter what anybody thought. They were willing to thought to be crazy because they knew and believed that God was the one that had called them and sent them. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Okay, now I want you to know what I did this week. So in my, you know, over three decades of following the Lord, I have lots of Bibles um, where I would sit in a service like this, maybe I went to a conference and then I write things in my Bible and then over time, my Bible falls apart and you can't use it anymore. And so I have a whole stack of Bibles that I've kept because they're just full of notes. I don't transfer my notes from one Bible to another. But my Bibles are just filled with notes as I sat in conferences or gatherings and, and, and man, would write things. That's why I want you to bring the book in here. I want you to use the pen that are in the back of these chairs to write down notes. And so I pulled out an old Bible and it was from 20 years ago at least. And I was kind of going through it and I came to this verse right here in this old Bible I've got. Hadn't looked at this Bible in a long time. And here's what I wrote out to the side. Rick, don't worry about being normal or trying to fit in with the culture. Do whatever it takes to fulfill your purpose of being a voice for God, pointing people to Jesus. I wrote that 20 years ago. When I, when I see a verse that says, anyone who wants to come after me, he's got to deny himself. 
What that says to me is, look, don't worry about what people think about you. People may think you're crazy. They may think you're a weirdo. It doesn't matter what people think. What matters is, is that you're denying you to fulfill my will for your life, which is to be a voice for the Lord. The world needs more crazy people who'd be willing to die for something crazy like living in total obedience to the word of God. And let me tell you, in the culture we're living in today, people will think you're nuts. People will think you're crazy. You'll be called all kinds of names and all kinds of stuff when you make the choice to live in total obedience to God and his word. I guarantee it. It ain't like it used to be. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter five. He said, so we are Christ's ambassadors. Think that one through for a moment. Really? Yeah. God is making his appeal through us. Really? We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Think that through, beloved. God chose you before the foundations of the world. Genesis 3 centers into the equation. Sin won't allow us into a relationship with God, but God chose us. And there came a moment when God began to draw you to himself. There came a moment when God brought into your life people who were voices for him. People who were ambassadors for him. People who basically said, come back to God. He used people. And I'm in the faith, and so are you, Christian, because there were some people who were obedient to the word of God. They understood that God had chosen them for a purpose, and they understood that part of that purpose was they were to be a voice for God. And they spoke up. Could have been your grandma. Could have been your mother. Could have been a Sunday school teacher. Could have been Billy Graham. Could have been somebody else you listened to on the radio. I don't know who it was. This is God's will for your life. He wants us to be active in reaching the lost with the good news. Now let me give you one huge practical way that you can point people to Jesus. This is, this is the practical piece. I always like to get super practical. Okay? Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, live such good lives among the pagans, that's unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's one of the beautiful things about Love Modesto. And the culture we live in today, you know what, here in America, we, we gotta get out there and people have to see our good deeds. Every year I've been involved with Love Modesto, I, I find myself uh, next to some guy who doesn't know the Lord. At the places that I go, I, there I am doing good things for the Lord and it's a chance for me to build a relationship with them. They get to see that my Christianity has is, is, is got, got hands and feet. 
the whole goal isn't that our town looks great and there's no graffiti and there's no trash and then everybody dies and goes to hell in our city. That's not the point. That's not the point of Love Modesto. Nothing wrong with having graffiti painted and cleaned up. That's a good thing. But there's a whole deeper goal, and that is that we build relationships, the lost get to see our good deeds. Like Peter says here, that we're living such good lives amongst the pagans. Listen, here's the deal. Unsaved people are watching you. They're, they're looking for any excuse, I think, to reject the gospel. So we gotta live in a way that honors the Lord. We need to talk in such a way that honors the Lord. In other words, your walk has to match your talk, or as one theologian said, our good works must back up our good words. And Love Modesto is a wonderful moment for us to go out and do good things. I've seen firsthand the power of someone living a godly life. Many of you are, are Christians today because somebody in your life lived out their faith in a God-honoring way, and they opened their mouths and shared the gospel with you. They were a voice for the Lord. In my own life, it was men like Chuck Fair. When I was a little kid, Chuck Fair would pick me up and, and, and talk with me about the things of, of the Lord. I was just a kid. He was a voice for God. Coach Burles at Davis High School was a, a voice for God. Yeah, he was a football coach, but he was a voice for God. He told me about the Lord. George Brown, he used to sit right back there before he moved, was a Youth for Christ director at Davis High School, and he would tell me about the Lord. He was a voice for the Lord. When I was going to Davis High School, there was a kid by the name of Mike Pedlow. Anybody remember Mike Pedlow? Some of you are raising your hands. I'll tell you what, that dude was nuts. That guy loved Jesus, and he didn't care what anybody said about him, what anybody thought about him. He would, he would talk about Jesus on the campus of Davis High School, and we would ridicule him, we'd make fun of him. We, we, we were just brutal to him. We, we would bully him. He didn't care. He understood he was chosen by God. He understood that God had a purpose for his life and he understood that that purpose included being a voice for God. And you know what? Make fun of me. Bully me. I don't care. And he always talked with me about the things of the, the Lord. On the other hand, I've seen firsthand the power of someone that calls themselves a Christian and yet they live you know, a, a life that doesn't, you know, bring honor to God. They, they live and talk in ways that are crummy and the lost people around them are totally turned off to the things of God because of it. How you live matters. Dr. MacArthur said this, quote, a godly life gives convincing testimony of the saving power of God. Look, it's easy to say, I gave my life to Christ. But the, the testimony is, is that your life has changed. And part of that life change is you understand your responsibility to open your mouth and, and speak for God. Bring people back to Christ. 
Here's the deal. If you want to fulfill your purpose of pointing people to Jesus, you need to understand that our real battle is not with the people around us, but the passions within us. I loved what D.L. Moody said. He said, quote, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than with any man I know. <laughs> Boy, isn't that the truth. You see, we got an enemy that doesn't want you to live a godly life. We got an enemy that doesn't want you to, you know, live for Christ. We got an enemy that doesn't want you to be a voice for God. You know who that enemy is? It's you. <laughs> it's your flesh. And when we yield to sinful appetites or passions, you can't help but start to live like the unsaved around you. And it's at that moment you stop being a voice for God. You stop fulfilling your God-given purpose and you become ineffective, an ineffective witness. So you need to be very careful how you live. I need to be very careful how you live. Remember the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter five? So be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. Boy, isn't that, isn't that good? Don't live like fools but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. The, 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 the Lord's got some thoughts for your life, and one of them is he wants you to be a voice for him. That's who you are. So the first thing that made John great was he knew who he was. He, he knew that God had chosen him for a purpose. He knew that God had sent him for a purpose. Then he understood what that purpose was. He, he, he was here to, to point people to the Lord. He was here to be a witness for the Lord. He was here to be a voice for God, and, and so are all of us. And then last but not least, and I'll run through this one pretty quick, John had a deep understanding of who Jesus was. He, he knew that Jesus was, was God in human form, the, the Savior. Look, look, look at verse 26. John told him, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you don't recognize. And everybody, there wasn't a person in the crowd who recognized him. The disciples didn't recognize him. They don't recognize him until after his death and resurrection. But somehow, John knew. Though his ministry follows mine, John says, I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. This encounter took place in Bethany in the area east of the Jordan River uh, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus come, coming towards him and, and, and he said this, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As I look at what John the Baptist had to say about Jesus in, in these verses, the depth of his understanding was really crazy. Really, I mean, just really, really crazy. He knew things about Jesus before anybody else knew them. He, 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 he understood who Jesus was. Look, the Lamb of God. He knew that. He understood how great Jesus was. Though his ministry follows mine, he said, I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He knew that. And he understood why Jesus came. 
Look, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And beloved, if you wanna be great like John the Baptist, these are three things you need to understand. You need to understand just who Jesus is. You need to have a deeper understanding of who he is. You've gotta understand how great he is, a deeper understanding how, how great he is. And you gotta understand why he came. You need to understand these things. You see, God doesn't want any of his kids to be ignorant. All throughout the Bible, we read that phrase. Listen to what Romans 11 says. God says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. 1 Thessalonians chapter four, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those that have fallen asleep. You see, you can be a believer and be ignorant. You can be a believer and not have really deep understanding of the things of God. Christianity is a, is a thinking man's religion, if you will. God, God doesn't want us checking our brains at the doors. He wants us to use these things. They're incredible. He wants us to think. He doesn't want his children to be ignorant about spiritual things. And if you want to be great like John the Baptist, look, you, you, you got to get into this thing. I wish, you know, that when you came to Christ, you know, somehow, I don't know, God just transferred all the knowledge. You know, uh, Lord, I give my life to you and wham, it just all went into your brain. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be, we wouldn't need men's Bible studies. We wouldn't need women's Bible studies. We wouldn't need any of that because we'd have all the knowledge. But that's not the way God set this gig up. You come to Christ, you give your life to him and you don't know anything. Unfortunately for a lot of Christians, they give their life to Christ and that was 10 years ago and they still don't know anything. Sad, tragic. Depresses me, kind of. I think it bums God out, I think. Because God doesn't want us ignorant. I, I didn't write these passages. God, God doesn't want any of us to be ignorant. And there's only one way not to be ignorant. You gotta study. In fact, let me give you three thoughts here real quick. N number one, you, you wanna have a deeper understanding of the things of God, you, you got, it begins by just reading the word. Gotta read it. Just simply have to sit down and read it. And there are some parts of it that you just go, what? Huh? That didn't make any sense to me. Look, I'll bet once a week I'm reading the scriptures and I go, huh? What? What does that mean? And it's at that moment you get to the second thing, and that is studying the word. That, that's, that's got the idea of you got a yellow pad of paper and a pencil. And you go, what does that mean? And you begin to do a little bit of research. You, 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 you Google something, you look up something. You, you start looking, you go, oh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, oh. You see, it's one thing to read the word of God, but then you gotta study the word of God. That, that's why we put pins in the front of all the chairs or in the back of all the chairs. One of the great things for a preacher is to look out and watch people taking notes, and many of you do. I, I, my Bibles, as I said, are just jam-packed full of notes that I wrote over literally the decades. And some of them are pretty elementary. 
Those were the Bibles I had when I first came to faith in Christ. The things I write in my Bible today are a little different. But I have a history in my office of my growth in Christ just because of what I've written in the scriptures. If you want to be great like John the Baptist, you've got to have a deeper understanding of the things of God, and it begins by reading the Word, and then you've got to study the Word, and I think that leads us to the third thing, and that is you've got to meditate on the Word, and that's different. That's where you're reading it, and all of a sudden, you just kind of stop, and you go, whoa, 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 hold on, I don't need to read anything more. God says I'm to be very careful how I live. This past week, I read that, and I just stopped what I was doing, and I just got up and I just walked around and I kept thinking, God, I need to be careful how I live. Lord, are there some areas that I, I'm not being careful in? Are there some things in my personal life that I'm not being careful in? Are there some things in my family that I haven't been careful in? God, are there some things I've just neglected? That, that takes some time. And you turn your phone off so when you're right in the middle of meditating, it doesn't buzz or whatever, and all of a sudden you pull your phone out to take a text. Your enemy... He, he can make sure a text comes. Read through the book of Job. The power he has is pretty amazing. God gives him some pretty amazing power. Just put the phone down, walk away, and just meditate on something. Maybe it's something from the sermon this week. I don't know, maybe it was something in men's ministries, women's ministries, I don't care what it is, but where you just... You walk around and you just kind of give it some thought. Carry a little pencil with you and a piece of paper or a little three by five card and, and as you're meditating on the word, you're, you're allowing God to speak to you maybe in a whole nother way. But then the, the fourth thing is really the key to the whole thing. And that is as you're reading the word, and as you're studying the word, and as you're meditating on the word, you have to do it with a heart that says, I'm gonna live it out. I'm gonna do it. Otherwise, it's, it, it, it doesn't mean a thing. I know people that have read the word. They've studied the word to the degree that they put sermons together. They meditated on the word. And then they got up and preached the word as they were living in crummy sin. Sin that I would be embarrassed to tell you about. Oh, they read it. Oh, they studied it. They meditated on it. They even preached it. But they weren't living it. And so you can't just read it and study it and meditate on it without saying, God, 
I need to live this out in my life. Help me, God. Help me do it to a higher degree. Or help me, God, to just begin to do whatever it is that your word says. All right, everybody stand up. Everybody stand up over in the, the venue. And I, wanna, I want us to say these, um, these three things out loud uh, together. Okay, if you want to be great, like John the Baptist, here we go. N -n Number one, I've got to believe that God chose me for a special purpose. Got to believe that. Got to believe it. Number two, I've got to use my voice to point people to Jesus. Let me tell you something. You believe that God chose you and has a special purpose for your life, and, and you begin to use your voice to point people to Christ? Wow. Man, you're well on your way to being great like John the Baptist. And then number three, I've got to grow in my understanding of who Jesus is. And so, Lord, thank you for our time together. I pray for our time of fellowship out on the patio and the Jumpers we got out there. I mean, we all just have a great time. Last night was just really a lot of fun, Lord. Thank you for your word. I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Okay, live for Christ.